From the studios of Tucson Business Radio X, recorded in the Stewart Title Corporate Offices on Broadway, you are now listening to The Mark Bishop Show. And now here's your host, Mark Bishop. Welcome to another Mark Bishop Show. And it's not every day that I get to interview a fellow countryman, and nonetheless, uh, than from my own hometown. That's being Melbourne in Australia. So, a hearty welcome to JJ Wolf. G'day, mate. How's it going? G'day, Mark. Nice to talk to you. Well, you know, it's it's, it's not every day that I that I get to interview a fellow countryman. So, you were raised in in good old Melbourne, Digger. Is that right? That is right. And your family? City of Melbourne. Yeah. Yep. Well, how is it these days? Okay. How is it in Melbourne? Yeah, considering the COVID, you know. You know, Melbourne is a dream. You know, when they get one or two cases, it's the world crashing down over there. If we got one or two cases over here, can you imagine how good it would be? Well, I, I know it was all closed and locked down there a little while back. You you couldn't move, and I think if you went out your front door, uh, you got uh, heavy fines, didn't you? That's right. But you know what? They did a great job, and it's COVID-free. That's, that's the main thing. Now, your family background emanates from uh, uh, Holocaust survivors from Poland uh, and Germany. So you were raised yep. in a Jewish Orthodox family, one of a litter of something, what, seven of you? Yeah, seven of us. My dad's actually a rabbi um, in Melbourne. He's got a centre over there. He's more of the Dalai Lama type of rabbi, very spiritual into meditation and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, we're spread around the world, and me and my brother live in Los Angeles. Well, yeah, we're going to get to that. Interesting. So what about your uh, education, Jay? What did you do for that? Yeah, I was in a Jewish primary school. You know, in Australia, we go till sixth grade and then high school somewhere else. Um, I had a pretty Jewish experience during that. And then after that, I w- wasn't a very good student. And there was a school that catered for out-of-the-box children called Taylor's. Taylors for Failures, we called it. <laughs> Taylors and, for Failures, right. Yeah. And that's where I finished up. Well, I tell you what, um, just uh, just as a, as a, by the way, I had a great grandfather that was a, a cantor, you know. Yeah, so I just found wow. that out the other day. I've been doing this, uh, you know, the, the lineage thing, and by yeah. gee, I, I go way back. <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, yeah. anything remarkable... Uh, uh, that you uh, you want to remember out of those school days? Is there anything at all that uh, talks your cork? Um, no, it was just a typical Australian um, schooling, you know, playing cricket with a rubbish bin and <laughs> tennis ball, you know, every spare minute kick to kick with a footy wherever we had a bit of space. And, um, yeah, that was, it was other than that pretty unremarkable. Well, you got to Israel. What happened there? Well, as you mentioned, I come from a background of Holocaust survivors. My grandmother on my mum's side, who I was probably closer to than my own parents, she was she was actually the longest living woman who survived Auschwitz for four years. Nobody wow. else had survived four years of Auschwitz death camp. She was even experimented on by Domengli, had her tonsils cut out, obviously while she's awake and um you know she was just the most remarkable strong woman i've ever met in my life and i she retired her and her husband and moved to israel and i always had an affinity with israel because 
You know, if Israel had existed once upon a time when the Holocaust was taking place and Jews had a place to go to, mm-hmm. you know, it could have always, it, there could have been a place for Jews to escape to when most of the world wouldn't take anybody else in. That's so right. I always... I always had a I always had a passion to do my bit for keeping a home that a Jew can always go to. So that's uh, when you left Australia in '92 and you went to Israel. You served in the Israeli army for four years in the infantry. Is that sort of you? You felt you had to do your bit there, or was that a compulsory uh, situation? No, I'm an Australian. There was no compulsory. I moved to Israel with the intention of serving in the army and um, I became an Israeli citizen. Uh, the army life was just it was just spot on for me and suited me. So um, I just signed on extra even after I finished my term. Well, I, I thought it might have been, Jay, one of those uh, discover your heritage trips, uh, but you went and served in the Israeli army for four years. So uh, that must have been a, a very exciting time for you. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty funny to begin with because, you know, I didn't speak the language and, you know, basic training was more like um, just looking, you know, to tell you to run. I'd just look around me at what everybody else was doing and pretend I understood and follow along until I learnt the slang language that was going on. But, um, yeah, I got to serve, uh, you know, I spent a year in Lebanon in the time that Israel occupied the... Um, there was a strip in Lebanon, no man's zone that we occupied and mm-hmm. um, fighting Hezbollah over there. You know, I spent a year in Gaza. and So, yeah, it was a pretty, it was a pretty good time. Well, uh, how come you didn't know Hebrew growing up? I mean, uh, you weren't actually, not spoken at, at home at all or, you know, that's no, most unusual. Was, no, no, we, we, no it was, there was no Hebrew spoken at home and I did learn to read and write from a very young age. But, um, you know, the comprehension wasn't there. And then the other half of it is in the army, it's pretty much all slang. So even if you learn a basic Hebrew, mm-hmm. you're not going to understand a thing in the army. Ah, well, there you go. Well, let's face it, there's nothing more than Aussie slang, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, well, so that it was a total uh, volunteer decision then, right, that, uh, that yeah. you joined? Yeah, and, That's uh, right. That's good. Now... You got to L.A., the City of Angels, Los Angeles in 96, where you started a clothing business and manufactured women's clothing for the big box stores there. I think you did that for 20 years. That's That's right. Hey, man, you come over here and took them on. Jay, uh, why did you head for the U.S. in the first place in that particular industry? The reason I ended up here ended up being that when I was finished my army days, I actually had a job offer to train soldiers in the Congo. And um, so I ha- it was pretty good money. And for a bloke who hadn't earned more than about 300, well, let's make that 150 US a month for the last four years. Mm-hmm. And I suddenly offered 60 grand to go and train soldiers over there. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. You know, another mm-hmm. chapter of excitement. So as I retired, the week that I had retired, things were I was given a lot of time off and one night I'm out at a bar in Jerusalem with a whole bunch of Aussies that were in town and as Eileen in Seinfeld says yada 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 got drunk next thing I know I'm married to an Aussie woman who was living in LA (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, I, I'm 24 years ago, I met my wife, an American, in fact, a Tucson, and, uh, on a cruise in the Caribbean. And I was, what, 46 and single. But that was the end of it. <laughs> anyway, it was quite funny. But um, we're going to find out in a moment, folks. You might be wondering why am I you know, interviewing this guy. Well, he's pretty famous in L.A., but not for what you think. So we were talking about clothing, and that was the first business there in the box stores. Yes. So, uh, so basically when I got here, the, there was in Australia when I grew up, in every single one of the big shops over there, they used to sell these really funny men's boxer shorts, satin boxer shorts. It might have a crocodile with bite me on it or stuff like that. And there was nothing like that over here in America. Right. So so I decided, you know, I'll give it a shot. And I put a line together based on what they had in Australia. Mm-hmm. And I traveled to Korea to one of the places that supplied the Australian manufacturers over there. And at the time they were doing all these other children's pajamas as well in satin, and that didn't exist here either. Mm. So I came out, so I came over and called up on J.C. Penney and Macy's and all these shops, and mm-hmm. maybe because I'm Australian, everybody was very good to me and gave me a shot. And the men's boxer shorts ended up being the biggest failure in the history of failures. I was just probably <laughs> too rude and forward for its time, but the women, the girls' pajamas took off like hotcakes. And in a couple of years, I had already started, I was selling to every single major chain in America. Wow, that's a big thing. You broke through, man. You broke yeah. through. That's pretty good. Yeah. You're very, very fortunate. Did you ever get a chance to visit New York and the uh, Jewish clothing areas there? I had a showroom in New York, and that's where all the stores would come to buy their stuff. Isn't that cool? And I had... Yes, I had a showroom in Times Square for 15 years. Times Square, my God, the rent must have been enormous, mate. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a clothing district, 525 7th Avenue. Yep, yep, well, there you go. Well, well done, but, well, you must have done fairly well, Jay, the last 20 years. So why did you decide to get out of it? Well, the clothing business was very, it was very good when I got into it, and I had a little niche in the market doing these children's pyjamas that nobody else was doing. Then the big boys caught on to what I was doing and started copying me and the profit margins went from pretty good to razor thin. Yeah. So I got into I got into women's fashion, which was always a thin game. Um, and people stopped shopping at malls and, you know, buying online. And retail shops tie you into their margins. So when people stop shopping and they mark things down 50%, 60%, they mm-hmm. come back to the manufacturer for markdown money it was just a losing proposition. Um, yeah, too much, too much they, hard work. When the graph of agro yeah, supersedes, they were, they were the, all going. Know. They were all, they were all filing Chapter Eleven, going out of business, not mm-hmm. paying. You know, Frank Lowy. I know the Australia. name. Yeah, Frank Lowy, the, uh, okay. the the guy Westfield Shopping Centres. Exactly. If Frank Lowy decides to get out of Westfields, who the hell is JJ Wolf to stay in? selling to retail yeah I know. You know? It's, it's it's a very contentious issue uh i've always believed that uh maybe there was a way of converting uh, we've got a lot of strip malls in the states well you live here now you've seen them that are empty uh too much online shopping it's taking away an enormous amount of business from retail and they are closing but uh Maybe maybe they can be converted into uh, housing for, uh, you know, affordable housing for, for poor devils on the street, which we're going to be talking about that you do a lot of good work for. But you did have a hobby and a passion in something else, which was always baking and cooking 
And then you thought, well, you know what? I, I, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to follow my wheelhouse, right? Well, you had a wheelhouse in a couple of things, but you're multi-skilled. But, you know, a couple of years ago, you decided to do something else. And what was born? Tell me. Yeah, I always intended to do the baking. In fact, I had commercial baking equipment from 20 years ago, but I was just so caught up in and bogged down in the life that I was living that I just never got around to it. But when I did used to make pies as a as a hobby, I would make 200 at a time and everybody who knew me would raid, raid the freezer and <laughs> grab pies and stuff. So it was always there ready and waiting until I was burnt out one night from the clothing industry and a dollar ninety nine and a website later the Aussie Pies and Sausages website was born. Well there you go. And, and this is for Australians know, in, in uh you know in America, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. For you Australians see, around the country. You see folks, uh, listeners, this is where it gets interesting because just like Americans love you know, we love our hot well, I'm American now, but we love our hot dogs and burgers and nothing nicer on a cold day at the footy, the football, you know, your dog with the steam coming off it. Well, Aussies love their meat pies, uh, sausage rolls, and all sorts of cream pastries like chocolate eclairs, vanilla slices. And we've got a famous one we call the famous Lamingtons. Okay? What say you, Jay? <laughs> exactly like you said. Food is nostalgia. It's memories, you know. A cold, wet day at the footy and having a hot pie and on an Australia Day afternoon having your lamingtons it's delicious and it's just memories the taste of home and it's unreplaceable it is and we absolutely love them nothing like you know getting into a hot meat pie with tomato sauce uh, dead horse all over it you know ketchup <laughs> but exactly. but i looked at your site last night and i saw that fantastic video uh, as boring as it was but it wasn't really because it was about food but the thing was you did a good job explaining that you know the american uh, sausage isn't quite the aussie sausage right and there is a special way of cooking them and that is important folks so uh, when I give you the uh, the website address in a moment, make sure you check it out. And Jay actually goes through cooking uh, Australian sausages the way they should be and how you don't burn the heck out of them and how you eat them. There's a special way to do that. Well, now you are shipping Aussie memories wrapped in pastry and other treats that the expats really miss, like me. Uh, there's a lot of Ameri- a lot of Australians in America and Vicky Verker, of course. Pies, sausage rolls, pastries, desserts, and sausages go out daily around the USA. Well, I, I gather the verdict is good, mate, or you probably still wouldn't be doing it, right? It's been a few years now. Yeah, it's good, and I have a lot of fun doing it. I am so fortunate because the people who shop from me aren't, I don't even consider them customers. They've become mates, and I've met so many people around the country doing it. So I'm very fortunate to have such a fun business put together. How are, you, how are your customers getting to hear about you, Jay? By your trips to different cities in the States? Yeah, by the trips, a lot of word of mouth and social media. Well, um, I haven't met you in Tucson yet. I know you go to Phoenix and you go to a lot of other cities and uh, I hope you can get down to Tucson sometime because that would be fantastic. Um, Absolutely, I'd know, love to stop by. Yeah. I haven't been home uh, what in eight years for a visit at all, and uh, you miss certain things no matter where you live in the world. You know, there's always something about home, and with Tucson, it's the sort of city, Jay, where a lot of people leave, they go and do careers, 
corporate stuff or they travel overseas or they're in the military. And guess what? They end up coming back to Tucson. It brings them back. You know, it's home. So um, I want to tell you this now, folks, because this is where Jay very selflessly, uh, selflessly, I should say, um, JJ Wolf, you're doing an awful lot of good for Skid Row in the city of Los Angeles. Now, I'd like you to share how you do it, what you're doing as an Aussie with our terrific meat pies and sausage rolls. Do they enjoy them? <laughs> you know, it's it's an absolute treat just to see somebody give a crap about them. And, when, you know, they love it. They absolutely love it. You know, just to give you a – just to paint a picture of what it's like over here, we have fifty to 60,000 people living on the streets in uh, – radius of about one and a half miles so you know it's, that's unbelievable isn't it yeah you wouldn't know you're in a western country well you wouldn't know it's, you're in america the greatest you know country in the world uh no. in reference to money and 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 the greed and the involvement and the and the businesses you know uh, uh yeah. well i just it just blows my mind i gotta tell you yeah that, you yeah know. many of them are, many of them are mentally ill and there's a big portion that are drug addicts mm. and those kind of people, they're not getting off the streets because they're just not, they're just not physically able to get themselves to get help and get off the streets. So it's not, it's not even a matter of, it's not even just a matter of poverty. It's just their brain isn't there and the medical system mm. doesn't reach out to them to get them help. So I've been surrounded by this, since I've been here and that's where I'm located in the heart of Skid Row. Mm. Um, you know, people who do work around here become immune to it. I mean, we had one fellow who was on a wheelchair without legs uh, and it was rain. It was during the year of El Nino and, you know, one day I'm driving past and he's on the side of the road sideways and cars are just driving past. Mm. Nobody stops, you know, nobody, nobody wants people look the other way. You know, yep, and yep. You, you just your heart breaks and you can't you can't take it. So, yeah. So every month I do a Skid Row event and not just food, you know, baked pies and sausage rolls for them, but give out hygiene kits with um, with all the basic necessities: soap, toothbrush, toothpaste, pads for women, razors, shavers, shaving cream. Good um, right. This comes wipe. out of your profits, right? No, no. Actually, the food I donate, the rest of it, mm -hmm. it's all expats around the country which participate towards it. And I have an Amazon um, I have an Amazon link and people can purchase directly the items that we need. Right. And I get boxes and boxes of oh, stuff every that's, month. That's great, man. These are Aussies all around America sending the yeah, stuff in Aussies to you. Yeah, Aussies all around America. And mm -hmm. then, you know, I have a wonderful friend, Shane Evans, who... LA, which puts the packages together and makes them into a nice little baggy to show bag, like the Melbourne show, to give out to them. <laughs> right. And and it's fantastic. Oh, that's a lot of good work, mate. That's great karma in there. They must love you. But, mate, you, you don't do 60,000. How many would you do, as a matter of it? How do you keep up with them all? Oh, I wish. No, we, we, give out, we give out a few hundred, which is... You know, not making a dent, but at the same time, probably makes four hundred people happy. Right. So, right. You know, well, that's fantastic. The, the, that's but it's growing. Every month, it gets bigger. 
<laughs> uh, folks, this is AussiePiesAndSausages.com, right? Aussie, it's often, it's not Aussie because it's double S, A-U-S-S-I-E. This is all one word, Aussie Pies, P-I-E-S-A-N-D, and Sausages, S-A-U-S-A-G-E-S.com. He's in the bakery. That's why the noise is in the background. But you look up the site, and you're going to see that great video as well. Now, let me ask you this, Jay. If someone you know, simply asked you, what is Australian food? How would you answer that? I think Australian food is something casual that we can eat holding in a hand and um, just, it, it, uh, I can't even answer it. I guess, <laughs> I, guess, I guess what a burger is to an American. And a dog, that's it. Yeah, what, what a, a What a taco is to a Mexican, you know, Meat pies, sausage rolls uh, to Australians. Yep, lashed in uh, dead horse tomato sauce all over the stuff. You know, lovely. Now, because we haven't got much more time left, but I want to talk about this. This And, folks, i got to tell you, if you get a chance to eat uh, Australian meat pies and sausage rolls, you got to do it. There's a lot of football rivalry in the United States, even with COVID. Uh, i got to tell you, folks, right back home, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. We have the same. And I'm not talking soccer. I'm not talking rugby, which most Americans tend to think that is Australian football. All those are codes. We have those. But we have our own traditional invented game. Well, I must admit it did come from the Irish originally, but it's called Australian rules football. This is the one where guys get up on other guys' shoulders and take marks, right? And instead of the quarterback throwing the ball 60 yards or 50 yards uh, to a guy running towards it, we kick it. So it's a pretty uh, skillful game. And there's a lot of football rivalry. As with, there's a club called Collingwood. That's the Collingwood Football Club. They're the Magpies, okay? The Magpie. It's a beautiful bird in Australia with a warble. Sounds wonderful. And affectionately known as the Pies. Don't you think that's appropriate for Jay? So the Magpies is an arch rival of my team. This is the Mighty Tigers, Richmond Football Club. That's a suburb of Melbourne where I was initially brought up. A Richmond boy. And I might add, uh, we've just won the last two premierships in a row. <laughs> so there, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> What yeah. uh, you never know, mate. You won one. When was it? Oh, I can't remember way back there. But you might get another. Two thousand and two thousand and ten. Yeah. Two thousand and ten. The pies. Wow. Well, yeah. Buried the collie yeah, wobbles. <laughs> that's right. Unbelievable. Ti- All right. Tigers have been the team of the decade. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, it took us thirty-one years to get there. Don't forget. You know, it didn't happen overnight, right? <laughs> Lovely. You've got, yeah, yeah. The wait was worth it. It was. You know, as a kid, I played in the fourths and thirds. Uh, under Bill Romeo, and uh, when I was at Assumption College, uh, Mike Green and Dennis Minari were there in my class, and they, what, Carlton and uh, Greeny ended up with Richmond as well. And Bernie McCarthy. Wow. Yeah, Bernie wow. McCarthy, he went to North Melbourne, so that shows you my age anyway. <laughs> I went to Hawthorne, but I'm a Tiger supporter. Anyway, listen, um, Americans listening, please have a shot at this. Next time you're having a party, what would happen if, uh, and how's it sent fresh to them and safe to them? Jay, explain that. We bake to order and then freeze it overnight. The next day it's packed with dry ice and shipped over and it'll arrive frozen. You can stick them in the freezer till you're ready to eat it and pop them in the oven. 
fantastic. And they taste very fresh because this is what I did on our Premier Grand Final day, uh, watching home here in Tucson, watching my team, the Tigers. Um, my wife, Nancy, and I and some other people I invited over uh, to watch the game um, I had ordered from Jay. And it was, it was like nostalgic to be able to watch my home team uh, on the telly, watching a grand final, it's like a Super Bowl, and uh, eating meat pies and sausage rolls. <laughs> it was good. So thanks for that, Nothing Jay. Better. And listen, great work you're doing for those poor devils on Skid Row. Keep it up. Uh, if I can help you in any way, let me know what, uh, how it works with reference to, uh, you know, getting stuff for them there and anything I can do to help at all, you let me know, okay? I appreciate that. Lovely talking to you. You've got it. JJ Wolf, ladies and gentlemen, go to AussiePiesAndSausages.com, right? AussiePiesAndSausages. That's www.AussiePiesAndSausages.com. Thanks, Jay. Take care, man. Look after yourself. See you, mate. Car the pies. Yeah, the tigers.